Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me on the Fox Sports app and at foxsports.com. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places. But there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily, but not exclusively, involving the NBA. And that is here. So, it's finally happened. Damian Lillard has been traded. And I know you are dying to hear my thoughts on exactly what that means in terms of where he went and what it cost. Well, I'm about to tell you. He didn't get to the place of his choice, the Miami Heat. Instead, he is going to the Milwaukee Bucks to join Giannis Antetokounmpo. In a bit of foreshadowing, Giannis made Lillard the number one pick in the All-Star Game draft last February, which was a major surprise considering everyone expected him to take his teammate, Drew Holiday. What does it say or mean that Holiday was the price for getting Lillard? along with Grayson Allen, an unprotected future first-round pick, and the rights to swap two others. Now, this was a three-team deal. I'll get into the details about uh, which teams did what and who got the most out of this. But I have to say right off the bat, I don't love the trade for the Bucks as much as the odds makers in Las Vegas or a lot of my media brethren. Lillard does fill a need as a go-to scorer, and it is a heartwarming story that he gets to go to a place where he can finally contend for a championship, or at least have a shot, a better shot than he ever was going to have in Portland. Being paired with Giannis alone does that for him. And he and Giannis are cut from the same cloth as it when it comes to, to leadership. I believe personality-wise... There's a reason that they were, or I'm told they were already friendly. And uh, don't buy, this is where I sometimes struggle with the propaganda that it's put out. There's a a news organization that was tipped off on this deal happening. And that same news organization is saying that Giannis had no foreknowledge of the deal for Lillard. Please, you're testing our intel, you're questioning our intelligence when you say something like that. Giannis 
barked about getting help. Giannis has always wanted to play with Lillard. The idea that Giannis wouldn't be aware of Lillard coming or that the Milwaukee Bucks, after Giannis making noise that he might go someplace else, wouldn't extract a promise from him. Hey, if we get Lillard, does that mean that you're going to stay? Otherwise, this deal doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but we'll get to that. The Bucks, yes, they, they needed a go-to score, and Lillard fills that need. Uh, but it seems only me and certain Bucks fans are aware of just how good and important Drew Holiday was and how this isn't just adding Lillard to a championship caliber team. This is gaining offensive firepower and losing arguably the best defensive point guard in the league who is the team's leader in assists, fourth in rebounds, and second in scoring last year, and for my money was the second best two-way player on this team and has been for the last couple of years, second only to Giannis. It's losing a guy who has been on the NBA's biggest stage and delivered. And for as much as I admire Damian, respect his ability to take and make big shots with a game on the line and fully believe he has the temperament to be a champion, there's no way to know if he can make the necessary plays, handle the inevitable pressure that comes with having to beat four different first-rate opponents four times over the course of two months. He does not have holiday size or strength, and he's going to be asked to defend at a level he's never had to defend at before for much longer than he's ever had to play before. How much will that impact his energy and effectiveness on offense? These are all fair questions and all questions that will be answered in due time. Just don't be one of those knuckleheads who thinks they already know the answers. Oh, Dame and Giannis, that twosome is going to win a championship. Stop. If you listen to this podcast, I am going to assume you know better than to take that approach. What is truly tantalizing is that they could very well have to be answered, those questions, that is, about what Lillard's capable of doing. Those will have to be answered against the player the Bucks just gave up to get him, Drew Holiday. People around the league have told me that the Miami Heat, Philadelphia 76ers, Boston Celtics, and Los Angeles Clippers are all seeing if they can make a deal for Drew with strong indications that the Blazers are looking to move him. That's why the Lillard trade hasn't been officially announced, I'm told. Because if Holiday is being moved on, it has to happen in conjunction with the deal that sent Lillard to Milwaukee. Otherwise, if they consummate that deal, then Holiday has to remain a blazer for at least 60 days before they can then trade him again. And Holiday, no doubt, has little interest in moving to Portland for two months and then being sent elsewhere. And it doesn't make much sense for the Blazers either. Having him there would only complicate lineups and rotations that would then have to be reworked as soon as he was dealt, essentially a month into the season. That's not the best way to develop a young team or help a young coach in Chauncey Billups. I could make a case where I wouldn't mind seeing uh, Drew 
as a mentor for Scoot Henderson, but it would put the Blazers on a faster timeline. And I don't know that that's what Drew wants to do at this point in his career. He's still a championship caliber player, capable of playing for championships, winning championships. And I have to think that his mindset has been there and nowhere else, considering that it was a surprise to him that he was actually dealt and that he's no longer a buck. Day before he was traded, he was saying, I am a buck for life. I am, this is, my heart is here. And then he got moved the next day. It's tough. It's a tough business. Now, I am hoping that he, he, that he lands with one of the aforementioned contenders in the East for several reasons. One, Drew deserves that. He is, without question, a champion, having been instrumental in the Bucks winning the 2021 title and then jetting off to Tokyo to join Team USA and be just as instrumental in them winning Olympic gold. He's still too good to play a mentorship role or help a middling team squeeze into the postseason. And all the teams I mentioned could use him. For Boston, he would be Marcus Smart without all the extra histrionics. I had one executive say, if Boston gets him, that puts them ahead of Milwaukee. They should be favored. Right now, Milwaukee is the favorite. Still is with Lillard, but... That's without knowing where Drew's going to land. For Philly, he would be the floor general and pace setter to get the most out of Joel Embiid and maybe, who knows, whether it's navigate the James Harden situation or put it behind them. I could see Drew Holiday being an outstanding piece, compliment to Embiid. It also would be a nice homecoming for Drew, having started his career with the 76ers and performed admirably until Sam Hinkie launched the process by trading Holiday to the New Orleans Pelicans for first-round pick and rookie Nerlens Noel and a future first-round pick. Which, keep in mind, there's a very good possibility that the 32, 33-year-old Drew Holiday could be traded for two first-round picks or at least a young talent and a first-round pick. I'm, I'm feeling fairly confident that that's what the asking price is going to be and that Portland's going to get it because there are enough teams that are eager to have Drew's services. So the same price will be got for Drew Holiday at 32-33 as Sam Hinkie got when he traded a 22-year-old All-Star. Kind of puts the whole process thing in a little bit of a different perspective, I'd say. I'm told that as much as I think that he would fit with Miami or that Miami needs to have a guy like Holiday, that he's not perfect for their culture. Although he would create arguably the most dynamic defensive trio in the league with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, that Holiday's like level of constant intensity or his personality wouldn't necessarily mesh there. That's what I've been told. I I have a hard time seeing him not be a pro, but I'll, I'm just sharing that with you. That somebody in the league who knows Drew, who's been around him, is suggesting that wouldn't be an ideal place. I think Miami needs to try to get him anyway, <laughs> just to save face after not getting Lillard and 
with Max Struess not being there and Gabe Vincent not being there, they need an infusion of talent. A second reason for wanting him to go to one of those East powers is that it would set up a potential rematch between Holiday and Lowe. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. If you recall, the two met back in 2018 when Drew was still in New Orleans. That was when the six-seeded Pelicans upset the number three-seeded Blazers by sweeping them. Holiday and Rajon Rondo were simply too big and physical as a backcourt for Dame and C.J. McCollum. And Anthony Davis twisted Yusuf Nurkic into knots in that series. For those who may have forgotten, Holiday averaged 28 points to Lillard's 18 in that series. There were mismatches galore for New Orleans and a ton of pressure on Portland that was only heightened when they lost game one on their home floor in a nail biter. I think it was in by, by two. Also, for those who may have forgotten, that was a year the Pelicans were barely staying above 500 before DeMarcus Cousins went down and the Pels went to, to small ball out of desperation out of having no other choice, and they closed the season by winning 20 of their last 28 games in a fierce battle for all but the top two playoff spots in the West. The Blazers were the third seed, but three teams finished one game behind them, including New Orleans, and the last two playoff teams were two games back of the third seed. And while the Pels came into the postseason riding high, the Blazers were stumbling, losing four of their last five games. So the circumstances may be a little bit different. It may be a little more of a fair fight from Lillard's side of things if he should meet and face Holiday again. The only reason for the Bucks to do this deal, by the way, is not because it makes them a prohibitive favorite to win a championship. The primary reason to do it is if Giannis gave them an assurance that if they got Lillard, he would re-sign a year from now, when it makes sense. He could technically do it now. He makes more money if he waits a year. It's no accident that immediately after Giannis unexpectedly started making noises about going elsewhere, if the Bucks weren't fully committed to continuing to build championship teams, that the team engaged the Blazers and this deal started to be put in place. What I learned from both the deal and Giannis's comments afterward is that he has taken Drew Holiday for granted. And I suspect that's because while he clearly appreciates what Drew did for him, repeatedly referring to him as a brother for life, he doesn't see Drew's abilities being as unique or quite as valuable as Damien's. Which, in one respect, I understand. Shooting and scoring the way Damien does is something that Giannis can't do and must feel like, man, that's that's magical <laughs> what he does. 
As great as I am, league MVP, I can't do that. Drew can make shots. He can score. But he does it in more of a fundamental way. And it's really the combination of his ability to score and do everything. His his all-around game along with elite defense and physical toughness that makes Drew what he is. And those are things that Giannis understands. Those are things that Giannis himself does. So I get where he would look and say, I hate losing my man, Drew. But if it means I can get a guy that does something that I can't do, it's worth the price. The deal, by the way, this deal, is also a lesson in the danger of having moves dictated by a star player. I believe. Because acquiring Lillard really doesn't resolve the issue that the core of this team, other than Giannis, is old. And that's something that GM John Horst is going to face down the line. Lillard is 33. Brooke Lopez is 35. Chris Middleton is 32 with geriatric knees. Who is going to be there as Giannis, who's the one exception to that age, being 27 right now two years from now he's 29 and he looks around and if Lillard's still there he's 35 Brooke Lopez I can't imagine he's still there at 37 Chris Middleton 34 this team is not on its way up and I don't know if it's still ascending this year with Lillard there maybe but this really could be the peak Now, what Lillard does do when it comes to intangibles is that he lights a fire that might have been dimmed a bit by winning a ring in the disappointment of two years of falling short. It is one of the great challenges that I just don't think a lot of fans fully appreciate. It's why you see teams all the time that are put together and they make a run and they make a run to the finals and everybody's thinking, okay, well, next year is going to be their year. Phoenix Suns just went through this. Next year is going to be their year. And then what happens? They don't come close. Staying hungry to make the sacrifices and go through the grind during the offseason, during the season, well into the summer to win another championship or, or win a championship demands that players resist human nature. Some fans think that getting paid a lot of money should make a player even hungrier, even more committed to working hard and pushing to the max. Well, that sounds good, that sounds reasonable, but it's not human nature. Working hard to get dividends, as in paid a lot of money, is human nature. And once that money hits the bank, that motivation dissipates. It's just reality. Working hard to live the NBA lifestyle is human nature. All of you who got a raise or a promotion or a windfall of money and then immediately began working harder than you did to get that raise or promotion or windfall, raise your hand. Congratulations. You are part of the maniacal 0.5%. And I'm not even sure how many of you are being honest with yourselves. Again, sounds good. Yeah, I'm a hard worker. I say it myself. I like to think of myself as a hard worker. I also know the times that I have downshifted and I've been well aware of it. Chances are your raise or promotion or windfall does not compare to what comes to the NBA player who earns a second contract either. 
Working hard to get a lot of money and wanting to be a, be known as a champion, that's next level. Getting a lot of money and winning a championship and then busting it even harder because it is harder to repeat and does require even more focus and energy what with getting everyone's best shot on a nightly basis, all the distractions that come with being a reigning champion. That is an incredibly rare mindset. That's not what the vast majority of fans would do. It's not what the vast majority of media or any other group of people would do. And it's not that the Bucks haven't worked hard and haven't tried to win the last few years. There have been no signs that they've purposely downshifted. I'm sure many of you have worked hard at something, thought you were working as hard as you could, and then in hindsight realize there's actually a little more that I could have given. Maybe I could have taken better care of myself health-wise to have more energy. Maybe I could have done a better job of planning ahead and thereby would have been a little more efficient in the moment. Or I could have avoided some pitfalls that sucked up my energy unnecessarily. Maybe you felt you'd earned a day off or a night off or thought, I've done enough, I'm good. These are all the elements that can decide who ends up winning it all. What, you thought it was like a fantasy league where you, you just had to assemble more talent than anybody else and that was it? Nah. These games are played by humans who are impacted by the same human nature that guides you. They're just bigger, stronger, more athletic. Their DNA as athletes, as physical beings, is just greater. But all the other human elements... Those are factors. The team that changed my opinion of them most by this three-team deal, and officially it was Lillard to the Bucks, Grayson Allen, Yusuf Nurkic, Keon Johnson, and Nasser Little to the Phoenix Suns, DeAndre Ayton, Holiday, and Tumani Kamara to the Portland Trailblazers. The team that got the most out of all this are the Suns. I'm not going to talk about the Blazers because what determines their fate has less to do with this trade and more to do with Scoot Henderson, what Scoot Henderson and Anthony Simons proved to be. I expect in the long term, the Blazers will be, at best, what they've always been. A tough, plucky, regular season team that makes the playoffs on a fairly consistent basis, but rarely gets out of the first round. The Suns are different. At least right now they are. Because they are very much in go mode. And those are the teams that interest me. Small market teams stockpiling assets for a rainy day just don't capture my imagination. I appreciate what Sam Presti is doing in Oklahoma City. But I'm not looking to pay attention to them right now. Even as intrigued as I am by Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Lou Dort and the collection of pieces that they have there. They're not a meaningful team. Neither are the Blazers. But life's too short. I'm, I'm all for crazy new owners, like the Suns' Matt Ishbia, who is like all of us when we get a shiny new toy. We want to see just how much we can do with it. We're going to push it to the limits. If we break it, we break it. I think he way overpaid for KD, and I still have concerns about the Big 3 model in general, and theirs in particular because all of its members are so damn injury prone. 
A GM who knows KD very well told me flatly, you can count on him being incredible for 55 to 60 games at this point in his career. And you can also count on him getting injured and missing a whole bunch of games. That's why it was critical that the Suns added the depth that they did, as well as a big man in Nurkic who I consider far better suited to how I expect them to play and having the ability to slow down their number one nemesis, Nikola Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. Nurkic, for those who aren't aware, is about 50 pounds and a couple inches taller than the 6'11", 250-pound Aiton. Aiton has made 21 career three-pointers. Nurkic made 43 just last season. Having a big who can stretch the floor beyond the arc is critical with so many stars like KD and Book who like to operate in the mid-range or Beal and Book who like to attack the rim. I don't care that Nurk isn't quite as nimble as Aiton. He wasn't using that agility, Aiton that is, to defend the pick and roll all that well anyway. And he's not the same roller to the rim without Chris Paul. Nurkic has the girth to get deep paint position against anyone if they decide to play that way. And his size also makes him a far more formidable screen setter than Aiton, which should come in handy with so many jump shooters. There's also the fact that Nurk started his career in Denver, getting there a year before Jokic as a mid-first-round pick. He got injured the next year, if I'm not mistaken, and was essentially replaced by the Joker, a second-round pick, and Nurk didn't take it well. There was some hope in Denver for a while that they could keep the two of them, utilize both of them, but it would mean that Nurk was coming off the bench behind Jokic, or at least there was competition for it, and my understanding was Nurk was having none of it. He was the mid-first-round pick. You're bringing in a second-round pick, and now he's taking my job? Also, size-wise, I just don't know. With the We're in the height of small ball. The small ball era was just really coming to the fore with the Warriors in 2014-2015. People weren't looking to play two pigs like that. So the Nuggets had to make a choice, and they did, shipping Nurk to Portland. Now, if I'm the Suns head coach, Frank Vogel, who, by the way, is or has a reputation for being a very good big man coach, I'm in Nurk's ear every day reminding him of that Denver history. And this, this, that this is a chance for him to, if not exact revenge, prove something to the Nuggets himself and the entire NBA. I also like the trade because I never saw Aiton completely embracing the complimentary role to the level necessary for him to do it the way the Suns needed him to. Nurkic has already been through that. He was humbled getting dealt to Portland. He's already been in a complimentary role, playing at best third banana to McCollum and Damian. He's already got to his second contract, signing a four-year $70 million deal. He's young enough at 29 that he should still be motivated to land one more big contract. But far enough along, this being his 10th season, to recognize that this is his chance to put himself in that rare circle of foreign-born, foreign-developed players who are NBA champions, 
who have an NBA ring on their hand. There was a certain level of immaturity I sensed the last time I was around Nurk, even in Portland. And that makes me wonder if he can grasp the opportunity that's being presented him here in Phoenix. That he's mature enough for Vogel to get that message through to him about what he could prove and what he could be and what he could do. But if he is, and Vogel does give that message, I now see a team in Phoenix for the first time that I feel has the raw ability to potentially knock off the Nuggets, especially with a couple of their losses, Jeff Green and Bruce Brown. It means guys like Michael Porter Jr. have to step up and be more than they were. So we will see whether that happens. I did not see Phoenix having enough, enough, even with Denver's losses, to have enough where I could see them beating them four times in a series. I saw a team with a, a good big in Aiton, but not good enough to pose problems for the Joker. And I'm not saying it's going to happen. It's still a roll of the dice. It's still a big three that has had injury issues. Denver is still in a sweet pot, sweet spot in terms of all their guys are signed, all of their guys are, there's nobody old. <laughs> They're all in their late 20s. They're all in their prime. But at least there's a chance now. There's an intrigue there. And I would dare say, I like Phoenix's chances of knocking off the Denver Nuggets. I like them a little bit better than I do the Milwaukee Bucks, if they should get there. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, what you may not know is that this was sort of an emergency episode that I put together because of the big trade. I already had lined up another episode and had it prepared. And so I am going to release that in the next day or so. So we're going to get two quick ones out here. And I dare say because of what, uh, now that we've got training camps opening and there may be a few more moves in the offing, although I wouldn't anticipate that James Harden is going anywhere, but we still have the Drew Holiday question to be resolved. And I expect that to happen sooner than later. I am going to put out this next pod and then we should start rolling and have them out on a regular basis at least at least once a week if not twice a week that's the plan in the meantime as always thanks for listening Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 